Welcome to the Whiskey Congress. Honest, open talk dedicated to speaking the truth to those who are open to hearing it. Black, white, right, left. Most importantly, honest, bold, and fueled by good whiskey. In Whiskey Veritas, we are Whiskey Congress. Join the evolution. Whiskey Congress is back in session. Steve and I are together in the Cleveland studio, but we have a guest today that I'm really excited to talk to, um, but it's probably best if Steve does the intro, because you know this week, man. So, go ahead, Steve. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this week we have Brian Buckley with us. He is the president and co-founder of the Hemlin Valley Growers Company, HVGC, uh, and the Battle Brothers Foundation. Uh, and so, uh, just to give a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of a background, Battle Brothers uh, Foundation was founded back in 2016. Um, and, it, you know, it looks like you guys really look to, you know, sort of empower veterans, you know, with their physical and mental health and help them kind of get on their, figure out how to get on their feet economically. Um, and then, now, correct me if I'm wrong, did, did HVGC, the Hemlin Valley Growers Company, grow out of Battle Brothers, Brian? Yeah, it, it, it definitely did. Um, you know, great job. Like you're saying, 2016, we established Battle Brothers Foundation. And kind of where that all started was when I transitioned out of the military. And I'm a Purple Heart recipient and, you know, no big deal, whatever things happen. And I remember I walked out as 80% disabled and I'm like, okay, like you don't really think about it. You're like, fine, I'm 80% disabled. Like off we go. But then you started hearing about a lot of people who were becoming 100% disabled. And a lot of my friends and I who I served with were all stuck at 80. And I'm like, this isn't making sense to me what's happening here. So I actually had an opportunity to talk with a guy who was a former infantry uh, Marine officer who works for the uh, VA. And I just said to him, like, hey, what, what's the deal here? And he's like, you guys, you know, pretty much you get screwed over. Um, he's like, just the way the VA will brief you or the Marine Corps briefs you guys, you're just known as Marines. They don't really play anything. Like a Navy SEAL comes in to get raided. Everyone knows that's a Navy SEAL. Um, so he's like, why don't you come out to Boston and I'll redo your evaluation for you. And I, when I went out there and they added up all my points, I was like 360% disabled. I mean, obviously maxed out 100 so I'm like, well, listen, you know, I got to help my, out my friends because there's a lot of benefits tied to that uh, along with their families. And these guys and girls more than deserve that. And then we really started looking at like, OK, there's not really many nonprofits at that time that were helping out people post their active duty military time. So we came up with the whole concept of Battle Brothers as kind of a mind, body, spirit of doing a personal medical and economic phase of personal big brother big sister network kind of helping out as you transition medical side helping out with VA disability claims if you're suffering with opiate alcoholism or post-traumatic stress we can get you into treatment centers and then the last phase was the economic part where we help you find a job I'd say it's a lot like that um the high school guidance counselor saying you got a million dollars what do you want to do with your life and you know that way that veteran will have that same sense of purpose like they did while they served in the military with the hopes of avoiding them making a mistake they can't come back from. And during that kind of time frame, you know, I was suffering with a lot of sleep issues. Uh, one of my friends said, hey, why don't you try out some cannabis? And when I did, it was the first night I got a full night of sleep. And that's when I thought about, well, let's not just become another veteran advocacy group. They do great things, but is there something else we can move the dial?
do to get medical cannabis into the VA medical system. And they said, if you can get data and get American doctors, you're going to have a good argument. And, you know, through a lot of twists and turns, we partnered up with a firm called Niamedic out of Israel. And then we brought UC Irvine on. And then the real problem came was, how are we going to pay for this? And the concept of Helmand Valley Growers Company came from a Paul Newman salad dressing bottle where it said 100% of profits to charity. And we're like, well, wait a minute. We talked to our lawyer and CPA, and they're like, you guys can totally do that. So we said, let's put our money where our mouth is. And we wanted to start up an adult-use cannabis brand in uh, California where 100% of our profits would go back to fund our medical cannabis research. And with our first $50,000 we received uh, from Helman Valley, we were able to pay for our study design and get institutional review board approval for a private IRB, which means we've been cleared to conduct human trials using medical cannabis. And our first study is going to be to start here in the next couple of months. Uh, with 60 veterans, and we're going to see if we can reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress by utilizing medical cannabis. Wow, that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, you know, getting, you know, getting human trials with, with uh, human medical trials with cannabis, um, that's a, that's a huge step, right? Because a big part of it, um, you know, not being cleared from, from a controlled substance is the fact that they, they label it as, you know, like no viable medical use and, and, yeah. Then you go through and everything you look at, well, there's not enough research. There's not enough research. There's not enough, you know, human trials. And so for you to be, for you guys to be able to, to, to take this step, uh, seems like a massive step in the right direction, um, not only towards getting it uh, recognized by the VA, but having to have Congress take a real look at, uh, you know, getting it removed from a controlled substance uh, schedule. Yeah, you, you know, there was a lot of education on that side, and that was what was great with the uh, medical team at Niamedic. Uh, our head uh, doctor who will be conducting our research is a gentleman named Dr. Victor Novak. Uh, he's an Israeli, but at one point he was in charge of Harvard's Clinical Research Institute, and he's done a bunch of FDA trials. So, you know, basically what we were getting back from the IRB and, you know, kind of And they won't give you the green light unless, you know, all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed. And they were asking us for DEA licenses because they thought we were going to work with the National Institute of Drug Abuse or NIDA program out of the University of Mississippi. And we had to kind of convince them, like, no, we don't want to use that stuff. We'll be using our own things. And they're like, oh, so you want a private IRB? And it took us about six to eight months to kind of finally get cleared. Uh, but thank God these, these doctors knew what they were doing and how to kind of win hearts and minds. And we were one of the first companies ever to be awarded a, a private IRB. All right, Brad. So I want to I want to back up for a second and just sort of explain the connection here between you and I. But then I want to go back to uh, talk about some of the, you know, maybe more a little in-depth about the hurdles of kind of getting to where you are now. Um, yeah. so just, you know, for, for, you know, full disclosure and transparency, um, you know, Brian and I were at the University of Massachusetts together. We played football together. Uh, we were actually in the same running back room. And, you know, I, I think about that room right now, and there were some characters in there between just, you know, like, I mean, like, you had, Nasty Nate has made a few. Right. Well, I mean, Nasty Nate was my roommate, and I think that was before he had been converted to corner. So he was in that room, but Nate didn't even talk. Um, you know, you had Marcel Ship, and then you had the Italian stallion, Pete Cariello. 
Um, like we just, we, like it was, and then our coach, our running back coach was coach Cassano, who he himself, um, was, was an interesting character, um, who, who may or may not have come into the room hungover once or twice. (laughs) But at least he wasn't using the devil's lettuce. Or was he? Oh man. Yeah. That, that, that definitely was a fun rim. Yeah, it was, it was. And then, um, you know, it's funny because over the years I've, I've kind of told the story even before I realized what you were doing now, um, you know, you, you know, after 9-11, um, you had, you left football, you left the University of Massachusetts and you went and joined the Marines and we were all kind of like, what are you doing? And you're kind of like, you know, when you left, you're kind of like, uh, I'm just joining the Marines. I, I don't necessarily know. It just seems like the right thing to do. Um, so, uh, do you remember we had that, uh, remember that, that African American studies music class we had with Archie yes. Shep? Absolutely. Um, we had this, this class, and this guy was like a jazz musician. Like You are but, so inside baseball right now. I know. but <laughs> So we had this class, but the guy was like never there, and he had this weird understudy that kind of looked like Miles Davis. And yeah, he was like, uh, what was his name, like Birdie or something? Or like yeah, Blue? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I think they were Blue, yeah. right. And it was weird. And then like one of the assignments, like we had to like listen to one of Archie Shep's albums and all this other stuff. Um, and I think we I, – I, I remember we might have done something a little bit scandalous uh for the exam in that class but i, I won't uh go into detail well, yeah, the statute of limitations is over <laughs> yeah well no it was, it was like kind of got us because hey, no offense to the the blue guy but he was pretty much like you were getting an a in that course if you were showing up and putting an effort and <laughs> right. i think like the last like week the, per, the the head guy showed up and he hasn't been on like in that class for like Two years because right. we're talking about in the locker room, like, man, the head guy's back. And I was like, dude, that guy's never there. And right. like, well, he is now. And he came in, like, looking for scalps. Like, yeah. he was like, all right, you know, and he really, like, kind of clamped down on us. So. Right. Like, we yeah, had to, we had, we had to learn, like, music, you know, African American <laughs> music theory in about <laughs> nine really days. <laughs> so, you pampered athletes were skating through a course that was set up for you, and suddenly the rug was yanked out. Let me translate yeah, that for the rest of the people out there. I mean, that's, yeah. that's exactly what happened. Like, all of a sudden, I had to, like, learn something which i think i did maybe I, I, I don't know but um yeah i think i walked out with a b uh, I, I was like a straight a and then like that guy came in and just recapped yeah that was off. that that was <laughs> that that was rough i think i got i think i might have got a b plus or something like that in that yeah. class but it was uh <laughs> that was it was it was pretty wild i mean and you know i mean we had we had a lot of fun but i mean you took you took you made a, a really you know you made a really hard decision and and you know I always connected with it because, as you know, like I, I left West Point to come to UMass, right? And so nine yeah. eleven happens, yeah. and then you leave to kind of go to, to go join the military, and and that always stuck with me. Like it, it always, and, and I still have issues if I made the right decision on you know leaving West Point or and going to UMass, and and I can I can get comfortable with it, but it's one of those things where you know. You, you you just you just question it right and so yeah. your decision though has has brought you to this point um, so let's can we talk about some of the obstacles that you guys faced in getting to where you are now with the research and then sort of where where do you think or where where would you like it ultimately to lead to yeah no that's great I mean really you know, a lot of the ob- obstacles is kind of like a twofold. I mean, the research, yes, it was very difficult to get. Uh, but then also, I would just say getting our product, Helmand Valley Growers Company, out there 
you know, that was kind of a very interesting story because, you know, we, we come in and uh, we get helped out by these two guys named George and Cody Sadler who uh, had a cannabis company and they brought us into their license so we could get going. And um, our first sale was February 2nd, 2020, right before a global pandemic broke. You know, so then, like, all this, like, finally, like, we're here. We've been working for this until tw- from 2016 to get to this point. Now we're, like, ready for prime time, and the world's shutting down. <laughs> so you're just like, man, what the heck are we going to do here? Now, luckily, and this, again, this is another kind of a feather in the cap for the cannabis community. The governor of California and many other states did the same. They deemed uh, cannabis as uh, necessary. Uh, as, so it was one of those things where... We got to keep going to work. We didn't have to stay locked down. I mean, it was kind of weird. We had to carry papers in our car if we got pulled over by a cop, which I was like, all right, that's a little kind of different than what I'm used to, but whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were able to keep things going because we were deemed essential business. So we were actually thriving at that point, and we are able to actually hire people while people were losing their jobs. So it was kind of a bizarro world. Uh, but just dealing with all the regulations and the heavy tax burden from the state of California – it really is a trying business to kind of survive it. I mean, I think people think you're in cannabis and everyone just starts, you know, you get your Bentley day three of your cannabis company. <laughs> really not the case. You know, it's like we're, we're doing enough just to keep the lights on. I mean, you really don't make your money until you sell. But what's been really, you know, I think fortunate is how much people have embraced our cause. I think there was some hesitancy when we were saying, you know, 100% of profits and we're going to do this and, Everyone's like, all right, that sounds really nice. Okay. Once we got that institutional review board and we're like, bang, here it is. We're the real deal. Things really started to pick up for us. And I think it was, uh, it's pretty rewarding because I remember in 2016 talking to these colonels and generals and telling them what I wanted to do. You know, I got the cocked eyebrow look and they're like, wait, you're doing what? And those same guys now call me up thanking me for what our, our organization's doing. And they're like, I think it's tremendous. I'm a believer in it. I think it's going to help out our veterans. So it's been really kind of inspiring kind of see like the whole dynamic shift of uh, how people have been responding and are open-minded now to what the potential that a plant has. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just great to hear. And and it's good to see that you you saw some of these older, you know, military vets shift their position. I mean, because some of those guys can be really, staunch and 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 really you know committed to their to their beliefs so to get some of them to kind of shift and and look at it from you know what this can do for the greater good uh is 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 comforting to comforting to hear yeah and you know what i think's great is there's so much potential with this plant i mean i had an awesome opportunity last week uh, made a new friend. Uh, his name is Kyle Turley, who played for the New Orleans oh, Saints. I know that name. Sure. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's like, you know, he's I had some his, controversies in his career, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's a great guy. Um, it was actually, he was with me and my friend Corey Potter, who also played football with Steve and I. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just remember telling Kyle, like, listen, there's certain things in my life I remember where I was. And, you know, I remember when my wife told me she was pregnant with my kids and, I was like, I remember there was one Monday night football. I'm sitting at the football house at UMass, and <laughs> oh, no. this maniac on Monday night football throws the helmet across the field. I was like, I didn't and, remember what it was, but I knew it was yeah. bad. <laughs> he starts dying laughing. He's like, yo, man. He's like, listen, he took a cheap shot on Aaron Brooks. 
I was just dragging him across the field. I said, I'm either taking your head or your helmet. And the guy literally went up and popped off his, uh, his, his chin strap. And he's like, so now I'm just like, oh, I got a helmet in my hand. So he's like, I didn't know what to do. So I said, fuck it. And I threw it. <laughs> he's like, he's like, but man, I got in a lot of trouble for my coaches because I totally killed that drive. <laughs> but, you know, it was great talking with him because he was telling me about some of the, the difficulties he was having post his NFL career with seizures and vertigo. And he really said, you know, the pain tour they gave him portal has really yeah. been wreaking havoc on guys. Um, and, you know, like, uh, Steve, we brought up Luke Hopkins, brother, Nate. All right. And we're like, you know, Nate Hopkins, he goes, hell yeah, I know Nate. He's like, him and I battled. He goes, how's he doing? And I'm like, well, he, he passed away like three years ago and he, his face has dropped. And he's like, how? And I'm like, uh, like a massive heart attack. He goes, this, that, you know, that fucking turtle. He's like, it's just killing us. And then, uh, we were together when we found out about Demarius Thomas. And, you know, he died from a seizure in the shower and that, like, he just smacked his hand on the table. And he's like, you know, I went in front of the NFL and they're like, wow, Steve, you look great. Like, our Kyle, where are you doing? All this stuff. And he's like, you know, and I told him what I'm doing. I brought doctors, had a PowerPoint and they literally said, we know this stuff probably works, but right now is not the time. And he's like, and now you got a 33 year old Demarius Thomas dying from something that he probably could have been saved from. And so it's like, you know, we're going to work a little bit too with some of the NFL guys because you know, I know we take different types of wounds and stuff, but I think what they go through with their brains, I mean, Steve, you and I know, just from yeah. you and I colliding a couple of times, <laughs> I mean, it just wreaks havoc. So it's been a really interesting journey to kind of learn from people what they're going through and the different ways this plan has really helped them. You, you know, Brian, I, let me throw in a little bit of my background. I, uh, I'm, I've i worked in the pharmaceutical industry for 25 years, including working yeah. for companies that made uh, narcotics. Um, and I had never smoked or used cannabis in any way until February of 2019. Mm -hmm. So I was 47 years old and I had never touched the stuff. I became a cannabis user in February of 2019. I'm now a regular user and it has helped me drink a lot less, which is, you know, a a self-admitted problem, but I don't have the, I mean, I've, I've gotten multiple concussions in my life, but I don't have NFL level of, of brain trauma by any means. And I've heard right. so many stories between people from the military or people from sports who've had repeated head trauma and literally were a disaster in their life, mostly because of alcohol and opioids. And then they started using cannabis on a regular basis and their lives improved dramatically. And I'm going to throw another story out there. I have a cousin who recently retired from um, the Lackawanna, New York police force. And there was this guy that they, he was a, he was a veteran. He had suffered a lot and he had had multiple uh, run-ins with the law. They was just, they literally, every couple weeks, they would pick him up for something. And um, about six months ago, my cousin picked him up on an old warrant and saw him and he's like, I don't want to be weird, but you look great. Like, you know, I've yeah. arrested you five times. You've been a train wreck every time. What's changed? And the guy said, I started using uh, medical, <laughs> medical cannabis and I'm yeah. not drinking as much or at all. And I'm no longer on the opioids. And so the, the the evidence is out there. It's just that the government has tried to avoid acknowledging it forever. Can we talk about that yeah. story, though? So, hey, glad you're doing so much better, but I'm but taking the you vaccine. on this war. I, 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 I think you say, he literally told him, like, keep doing what you're doing. 
and and we you know, need to get out of jail. It was it, it was a minor. Uh, yeah, you're, well, he was he was doing his job, but you know he he walked out of jail. I think that day it was kind of all right. Since you're doing this, it was kind of an awkward moment because I was with my family that has no idea that I started smoking weed two years ago, almost three years ago, and I almost wanted to go. I'm high right now. So I mean, you're 50. I, I still don't understand why you're not fucking doing this. Like you're a grown you're a grown ass right. man to the tenth degree. Bri- Just Bri- tell Bri- your mom, Brian. I, I did tell her mom. Brian, I apologize that you have to be in this. Let's talk about Steve getting hit by the horse on the quad because that's a much better story. You fuck. Oh <laughs> but, man, I, I don't even. You probably don't know that story. It was uh, one of the one of the uh, Yankees Red Sox games, and per usual, riot breaks out because I think it was a playoff game. It yeah. was a big one, and I had gone to the DC to go get food, and like like I got food, and then they closed the the, the dining commons up. And when I came back to go back to the dorm. Um, there was a, st- you know, one of the, you know, one of the mount horse mounted police were, were out and I was trying to get back to the dorm and I just, I got planted by a horse, <laughs> just planted. And, oh my God. Yeah. I was, love the story so much. Yeah. And like my, and I, and I was most pissed because like my food was everywhere <laughs> and it was, uh, it was chicken Caesar salad day. So I used to like love the, you know, I, I used to stock up on the chicken or whatever, but, uh. Yeah, that was that was me getting hit by a horse. And that was me bringing that story back up because I love the idea of Steve getting tatered by a horse mid-campus after he talks shit at me. So that was probably the southwest part of the University of Massachusetts campus. It's probably one of the more interesting places in the world I've ever been. Yeah, I mean it was. I mean just. It's just wild. I mean, like some of the yeah. stuff you would see just walking through, like, oh, look at them. They're they're making. Nope, nope. They're actually having sex over well, there. Well, I mean, cool. we just talked about Corey and I were talking about those Stevie Momo uh, streaking. Uh, so, so, yeah, let me paint the picture. I, I mean, yeah, you have to now. Oh, you start. Yeah, you open so, the door, <laughs> run through it. So our, our buddy Steve Morrison, he um, he has like red hair. Uh, you know, he's probably like a six two, six three. And, you know, he's probably, he's over 300 some pounds and he had a pretty good spring practice and our coaches at the end of spring ball were like, Hey, we want to give a, you know, shout out to Steve Morrison, really kind of turn the corner of the spring and all great stuff. Well-deserved. But Steve was kind of, he was feeling it, you know, he was feeling good. So we're in our buddy Kevin Kevin Quinlan's uh, dorm room and we're just all talking and joking around. And we had a couple of guys who hang out and didn't play football. And this guy, Harry C. and Danny Duck, both from Boston, if you can believe it or not. And, you know, Steve's just talking trash to him. And he's like, I could kick you, Danny and Steve, like Harry. He's like, I could beat both you guys up at, at once. And they're like, no, you can't. And they're like, no holes barred. He's like, yeah, I can beat you guys both. So we're like, all right, Steve, if you lose, you're kicked out of the uh, dorm until the end of, until next school year. And he's like, fine. So he's like, all right, you can't come in the dorm room if you lose. He's like, not a problem. So they fight. He tackles Harry C., but Danny Duck grabs, like, a TV train to start beating him on the head with him. Oh, my God. So eventually, like, Steve just passed out. We're like, get out. We can kick him out of the room. And we bring in a bunch of beer. We're all having fun drinking. And you just see Steve pacing back and forth like it's killing him. And, I mean, literally, it's an hour, like, two that he's not in his dorm room. And he knocks on the door. He's like, guys, I'll do anything, anything it takes to get back into this room. We're like, hold on. And we close the door and we talk. And we're like, let's make him streak the southwest part of campus. And we'll let him back in. Now, the southwest part of campus had like four big towers. I mean, there's probably about 10,000 students in that area. Yes. And so we, you know, Steve comes in. 
he has a Michael Jordan North Carolina jersey on, a white towel, and he has on his uh, running shoes. <laughs> so Corey and I take him down to the bottom floor. We're walking out to the middle of uh, the southwest part of campus. It's about like a 400-yard sprint back and forth. And we start counting down, and we want to make sure the guys up in the window in the dorm we were in hear us. Well, as we're counting down, more and more people come around to their windows. Start and to gather and watch. he ripped off his towel, his shirt's off, and he starts running. And it looked like the opening kickoff of the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, lights are just flashing everywhere. <laughs> and I take his towel, I throw it up into a tree. I mean, Steve is just hauling ass. You hear people screaming. He comes back. He literally was like a polar bear. He just scaled this tree so fast to get his towel and comes down. <laughs> and we get him back into the elevator. And there's some girl like, were you the guy just streaking? And he's like, no, no. It like, was a different 6'3 redheaded naked guy. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the other one. So we take, this back in the day was the old Kodiak like roll film thing and disposable ones. So we take it to go get um, <laughs> produced. And when we go back to pick up the pictures, I'm going through them and you kind of see us at parties. And then next thing you know, there's like a field trip in Washington, D.C. And I'm like, who the hell went to Washington, D.C.? And then we see it's all a bunch of kids, and there are no pictures of Steve running naked. And I'm like, ooh, that dirty dog, he swapped out some pictures. Oh, that's so. smooth. <laughs> so I get him some credit family in, Yeah, some family in Amherst, Massachusetts. He one-hour photoed you guys. Yeah, exactly. Someone, like, at the University of Massachusetts for all the therapy bills your kid probably had to go through. I am so sorry, but yeah, that was one of those classic moments. So we're here to talk about the benefits of cannabis, and I don't <laughs> think we're hitting that goal with <laughs> Yeah, but that's a story that you. That, no, that's great stuff. Well, I mean, that was. I mean, that that was before cannabis, right? I mean, I, I mean, maybe other people were smoking, but I was really, I was really. Yeah, good that, about was the, can, that was before the cannabis. That was alcohol. So that's, right. Yeah, that was that, that's that's the reason why alcohol is bad. <laughs> right. I mean, that was that was alcohol fuse. I mean, most most stories UMass related are my best stories UMass related are also alcohol related, without a doubt. In, in all seriousses, Brian, I mean. The, like, like I kind of t- touched with before, you know, people who are dealing with uh, self-medication, alcohol and opioids cause a lot of problems. I am personal proof of the alcohol side of that. Um, yeah. And while I'm not uh, an opioid user, I know a lot of people who've, I mean, who've died, friends who've died, friends, friends who've died. And, um, you know, cannabis overdose is... Fatal overdose by cannabis is essentially impossible. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. Joe Rogan jokes is that cannabis can kill you. If a CIA drug plane throws a 25-pound brick of, of marijuana out a window, it falls 10,000 feet, 10, feet and hits you in the head. That's how cannabis can kill you, and it's the only way that cannabis can kill you. So the the value of that stuff is, is um, it, it's, I mean – it's been avoided by the government for a bunch of reasons, but it's also anecdotally and realistically proven. Well, I mean, and, and you know, another another part of it too. I mean, and kind of relating to the football. You, you know, when when we were at UMass, they used to give us a, a anti-inflammatory called Vioxx. 
Oh, sure. Heart and, um, and they gave, I mean, and I took a shit ton of it. I mean, like I was a, a fullback. I, you know, was blocking linebackers and DNs head to head, you know, with, with a lot of these guys. And, um, you know, so it, it was a lot, a lot of headaches and a lot of bumps and bruises. So, I mean, I took Vax literally like they were Skittles and they were orange and they had a little bit of a flavor to them and they, they kind of tasted good when you took them down, but that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, when I get out of law school or, or when I get, when I come back from Chicago from the public defender's office and I, and I start working for a firm here, you know, they did class action lawsuits. And one of the one of the companies that we represented was Merck, who produced Vioxx. Sure. Right. And so come to find out that there were a lot of issues associated and really nasty side effects associated with Vioxx. Um, and, you know, some of them were like liver and kidney complications. And, and I've had two really, really scary incidents with my liver and, and kidneys, um, you know, since we graduated and since we graduated college. And, you know, the, I mean, they can't, we're not sure if it's de- directly related to, um, you know, that particular drug that we took back then, but um, I can't necessarily rule it out. So sure. my doctor and I said, look, you know, I have to avoid, you know, the NSAIDs and the, and the aspirins and, and, and things like that because, you know, he's concerned about the, the damage and things like that done to, you know, my liver and kidneys over the years um, where alcohol did me no favors. But but some of those drugs, you know, might have definitely caused a problem. And it wasn't like I was using them recre- recreationally. Right. They were anti-inflammatory. So for me, if if I am in pain. Right then, then cannabis is is the way I go as opposed to reaching for the the Aleve bottle or, you know the Add the nondescript, you know ibuprofen inset. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And it's really you know to that point, you know with all the pills we were popping and and football and you know you kind of military kind of doing what you got to do to get back out there. And obviously we all know uh, about the VA cocktail that. You know, the VA will give you uppers, downers, and lefts and rights and things to counter all that stuff. So you're taking about 20 pills a day. But, you know, working with the Israelis and how advanced they are with their understanding of cannabis, you know, you can talk to them for about 10 minutes and you're going to learn like 15 new things. And one of the things they're really saying to what they told me, and it might be an interesting study, they're seeing with their Israeli uh, soldiers that when they get hit by blast waves and they're becoming concussed, that by giving them, you know, microdosing, nothing crazy, just microdosing some cannabis, it actually reduces the brain swelling and heals up the recovery process. So they're like, for example, in your guys' NFL, if a player goes into the blue tent and is deemed concussed, the best thing they can do at that point is start giving them cannabis, and you're going to get them back on the field faster. So, again, just having some friends who played in the league, and you, you talk to them, and, you know, what? He told me that, you know, he played 12 years and he's like, you know, I use cannabis and 70% of my friends use cannabis. And I was like, you know, it might be a really interesting study just to do a EEE. What was that? Did we lose you? I think we lost you, Brian. And somebody went, yeah, I didn't use cannabis and just see what their brains are looking like. Yeah, but I, I, so I think we, I think you cut out there for a brief, a brief second. So the last thing we heard was a, a EE, I'm, I'm assuming you were going to say oh, yeah. EEG. So EEG was basically just look yeah. at your brain activity. We were saying, you know, why don't we hook up an NFL player who used cannabis and an NFL player who did not utilize cannabis and let's just take a look at the brains and see if there's something there. 
that these guys who are using cannabis their entire NFL career, are their brains looking better? Because we know they're all suffering a lot from CTE or what we call in the military traumatic brain injury. Uh, so there's just yeah. so many fascinating things you can look at. And again, I think it was even, uh, Newt Gingrich said this, you know, if we, if the doctor ran into the Amazon and came out with a cannabis plant today, we'd be giving them Nobel prizes left and right because of all the untapped potential within that plant. Well, from Newt Gingrich, that's a sort of surprising, uh, take. Uh, exactly. Hard, hardcore exactly. old school Republican from Georgia, for crying out loud. I'm telling you, the Republicans are coming. Um, you know, you just had a state reform act by a Republican representative out of South Carolina where they want to federalize recreational cannabis nationwide. And they want to put a 3% tax on which is very doable. I'm not sure if we want to treat it just like liquor and alcohol. We might want to look more of a farming type way of how we kind of view it. But that's kind of an interesting side where it's not, usually you thought Democrats were the ones going with it. And actually next week, I have a phone call with Senator Tim Scott's office to talk about our research. And that gentleman might be the Republican candidate for president in 2024. So it's kind of getting there where now you're starting to see a bipartisan little bit of an effort. Obviously more Democrats, but Republicans are kind of coming on board. Uh, so you never know what can happen. And that's the nice thing with the spot I'm in, because I can look him straight in the face and say, you sent me to war. Now it's your turn to fix me. <laughs> That's, that's a solid. Argument. That's a strong argument. They don't. They don't. They don't get much stronger than that. Um, so, so Brian, let me ask you this, right? Like with with everything you're doing, um, you know, obviously you started out to help veterans, but you know, in the end, what's your what do you think? What's your end goal, right? Like, is your end goal to see cannabis legalized federally? Is your main focus just you know get it cleared for veterans, or, or what are you guys thinking? Well, the way. My end state is I want to see Hellman Valley Growers Company product inside uh, the VA pharmacies. And in order for that to happen, they're going to have to make medical cannabis uh, legal uh, federally. And the way we're going to go about it is we're doing the 60 vet study. From there, we're going to be able to develop a recommended uh, treatment protocol and develop a formulation. Do a more robust 200 vet study here in California with that recommended treatment protocol and formulation. And when it hits the way, we're pretty confident it will because the Israelis have done it, but we just need to put an American face on it. We'll take that into Michigan and do a retrospective study with 50 veterans to prove we're getting the same results and that this formulation is repeatable and accessible. And then at that point, the members of Congress said they'd bring me back in. I'll raise my right hand. I'll say, here's your data. Here's your American doctors. Can we proceed with FDA trials? And hopefully once that all passes, They'll have it into the VA, and they're just not going to say, you know, only veterans can use medical cannabis. It's going to open the door for every patient in America as a byproduct. I just said, hey, let us use us as a tip of the spear. Could I go back to that old quote? We can look at them straight in the face that you did this to us. Now it's your turn to help us. So just to, out of curiosity, why why Michigan? Uh, really just a barrier of entry. The, basically the way their VAs have been a little bit more progressive. You have a veteran density in there, um, and that was really kind of how we put it all together. And I'll be honest with you, it was more or less on the veteran density. There's a lot of vets in Michigan and the barrier of entry to actually get into Michigan and operate. Okay. And I'll tell you the truth, Brian. I get a lot of my cannabis from Michigan. In fact, the majority of it because it's two yeah. hours away and I <laughs> it's easy to get. And it's hilarious to me that I can drive two hours 
and do something that is completely legal until they cross an imaginary line, and then it's not. Yep. And you're a felon. Right. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Right. It is crazy. Um, so, right, let me see. Um, so, the other question I had for you was uh, Helmet Valley Growers. Um, so, I have two questions about HVGC. One, the, one of them is... Can you tell us a little bit about the name? And I've heard you talk about this before, but I think it's a, it's something that people should hear. And then the other part is, you know, what, you know, are you guys in other states besides California, like your actual cannabis product? Um, and if you're not, when do you see that happening and kind of what's the path? So talk about the name and then talk about product availability outside of California. Yeah, great question. Love ta- telling this story. So, the term HVGC actually means Helmand Valley Gun Club. And I served as a Marine Raider at 1st Marine Raider Battalion. And when we operate in a place called the Helmand Province, which is in the southwest part of Afghanistan, it uh, butts right up to Pakistan, a fairly uh, heavily contested area, mainly due to the Helmand River Valley. And I joke with people, like, if I asked you to paint a picture of where I was fighting, there's no way you would paint this scenarios so we essentially look at the helmet river like the mississippi river and we were fighting within this triple canopy jungle and you're looking up at mountains with snow caps on them and it's like 120 degrees inside where you are and the reason why it was so important to the taliban is it was a great agricultural spot for them in afghanistan and we always had a thing called fighting season which ran through may through the end of october and the taliban would come up from pakistan tell everyone to throw their poppy seeds out and when they grew, they would cultivate into heroin, they would sell the heroin, they would tax it, and that's how the Taliban were fueling their insurgency. And then after Croptober was done, they would just walk on back down to uh, Pakistan and wait to do it all over again. So it wasn't like an area they wanted to really give up, and, you know, I could, we probably have to do about 10 more podcasts for me to explain the complexities of Helmand Valley. But when we sat and thought about what kind of brand would we like to make for our adult-use brand here in California, we really wanted to keep a military niche to it. So we threw the letters HVGC up on the wall and we just looked at it and we're like, well, Hellman Valley Growers Company. And it really came to us that fast. Huh. And we're like, all right, this is a little sensitive because we all have HVGC tattoos on us. And I just want to make sure the guys are good because we got to trademark this and blah, 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 blah. So went to see some of the guys and we just kind of briefed them up what we wanted to do. And they were like, hey, listen, not only are we cool with you guys using those letters, but we want a job when we get out with you. It's like, yeah, that's the easy part. <laughs> so that was really where Hellman Valley came from. And then in terms of other states, yeah, we right now we're only in California. Obviously, as many people know, whatever you grow in the state that you're operating in has to remain in that state, even though probably 80% of the illicit market, you're <laughs> probably smoking California stuff, right? But um, – we are planning in next year to make that move into Michigan and to start build a brand, build awareness, uh, get some good sales going out there. And then when we're time ready to shift our research in there, we'll be up and running, uh, you know, already with our, our veterans recruited. And we just want to kind of burn through that. So the faster we can get in front of Congress, faster we can get FDA trials. We really feel like it's going to help out and save some of, uh, some lives of our veterans and of some, uh, you know, other Americans who could also utilize cannabis. Yes, that's that's fantastic. Um, You know, I I guess and and I'm glad you threw in a little bit about the end about, um, you know, reaching out and talking to the to the other uh, vets about, 
you know, using the name because the one question I, I, I haven't gotten to ask you over the last couple of years was just, you know, you guys spent a lot of time fighting there. And obviously, you know, PTSD is a part of, you know, kind of your part of your, you know, disability post, um, you know, active duty. And so I guess, is there any sort of concern about, you know, like constantly seeing and hearing that reference? Um, are you worried about that for yourself and some of the guys around you? Or is it just the, the name means so much that it's something that you really sort of hold on to and cherish? Yeah, I think, you know, the way I explained it and the way I told the guys was like, listen, and, you know, back then I was like, we really don't know what we did in the Helmand province. You know, history will tell us. Well, you know, kind of history happened in August this year, right, with sort of the, uh, the, the botch of a withdrawal that we did. Right. And, you know, it's like, but no one really, will anyone really know about HVGC and kind of the legends who served there and the guys who gave their lives over there. So whenever I get to do these podcasts or shows and I go on and I talk about HVGC, I can talk about the Captain Matt Manukis or the Gunny Ryan Jeskis or Sassar and Skymos and all these great Americans who went over there to do the best they could and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice. So it was kind of a tribute to them as well. And if you look at it as a little bit of a byproduct, obviously they were using the uh, poppy to make heroin and know that's an opiate so we were fighting kind of an opiate war over there and now we're back over here fighting another opiate war so it's kind of has like a double meaning to it as well right right um i didn't even think about that but that's pretty uh that's pretty cool um so let's 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 play this forward though <clears throat> so um you know, like cannabis is kind of taking a little bit of a back door with the Biden administration, right? Like, I mean, it was something I, I don't, you know, Biden's never been a big cannabis guy. He's been, you know, sort of a, a middle of the road and, and cannabis was never seen as overly popular amongst, you know, like the amongst the U.S. population. But obviously that has flipped and grown to where most people are in favor of legalization and use in some way, shape or form. Um, so. Let's say that, you know, this bill out of South Carolina is able to get momentum and we see legalization. Um, you're able to get your product in with the VA. Um, so from that point, right, what, what do things look like for you, uh, for your company? Have you guys thought about that or is this the main focus to, to, to get it, um, as a, as, as a use in the, in the VA? I definitely pay attention to what bills are happening. Um, I'm part of a group called the Veterans Action Council. So we've actually been asked to endorse some bills. Uh, we endorsed the Safe Harbor Act that didn't really do much, but did do any harm. And the way we looked at it is like, well, let's not perfection get in the way of good. If you got people in Congress approving legislation that has the word cannabis in it, that's a positive sign. And I think you're going to see more action towards the midterms. Because this is where the politics come involved. Uh, I know the Banking Act could probably pass right now, but they're not going to put it to a vote because they want to put people on the record to see if they can take their seats or where they're going to lay. Uh, so right now with things like that, well, we're just focusing really on our, our study and our research and having the data. It's like the old saying, numbers don't lie. Right. So we know once we have the proof that this stuff works and it's been peer-reviewed and it's published in PubMed and all this stuff, they can't really deny it. And... You know, again, we just got us called out. I mean, it's always follow the money. And I really, truly believe things will start escalating once pharmaceutical can figure out a way how they can profit off of cannabis. And I hate to say that, 
but that's reality. It's the truth. Don't, don't hit us out of my account because you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, listen, people in Congress, they get elected due to money, and pharmaceutical has a lot of money. So they really don't want to bite the hand that feeds it. So we're, that's why we're just kind of running this path. But having an opportunity, you know, I'm completely bipartisan. I mean, I sit on a Democrat uh, congresswoman's veteran advisory board. Uh, and I talk with Republicans and Democrats. I mean, it's a bipartisan issue. So I'm just trying to win the hearts and minds, convince them, show them the hard data, and eventually they can't deny it. And what's great is it's not like we're the only ones doing research. I mean, you got schools like University of Pennsylvania coming on board and things like that where we all know it, it works. And when they get hit all different directions with valid data, they're just going to have to say, okay, like, what the heck are we doing? We got to deschedule this. It is in you know, turn it into something as that can be prescribed by doctors. And even on the, you know, adult use side or recreational side, you know, again, what's the difference if you go home and smoke half a joint or you have four martinis? Uh, you know, it's, no one really frowns at the martini drinker, but apparently if you smoke half a joint, you're a bad person. I, I don't really see the difference there. If anything, I would rather the person with the uh, joint because I know they're going to be more functional. In that as a person who is currently drinking in Manhattan, and we'll use cannabis <laughs> later tonight. I will tell you that alcohol is far more damaging and far more, you know, create so much more uh, bad decisions. Just out in public. Look, we, like anything, you can do yourself harm with anything. Whether it's alcohol, cannabis, religion. You know, you can box yourself into a corner and do bad things with, and I should have thrown food in there because yeah. sugar and other things are just ridiculously damaging. Um, the vilification of cannabis is a, a, if you look at it practically from a historical perspective, it's almost hilarious because it got vilified mostly in the 60s, mostly because black people and hippies were against a war that was making a lot of money. And, well, Steve will stop me from going to a JFK. Uh, yeah, well, I, I will stop. And, and, and actually, the vilification of cannabis actually started even earlier than that. And it wasn't. Yeah, it was it, the 20s, probably. When right, it because it was, it was yeah. really, it really came down to about paper manufacturing, right? And the use of hemp and everything else. And it's just like, look, we don't want this, you know, as something that is used for anything, right? right. Because the paper industry was so big and never going anywhere because we were never going to move on from paper. Um, and I say that a little bit sarcastically just because I had to actually look for a piece of paper earlier today in my <laughs> office. Like, fuck, I need something to write on. Um, you know, but I mean, like, so, but you're, you're right. The, the, the reasons why cannabis was vilified, none of it had to do with the actual effects of its use, right? Like they were sure. all outside reasons why it, it was really turned into this demonic thing. Um, and, and, People have been saying for decades that we need to be researching this and we need to see what we, you know, like we're leaving so much on the table from a scientific standpoint by not researching this at a, at a, at a, in a greater degree. And it's, it's comforting to hear that, um, or exciting to hear that, you know, there are groups out there doing the research and doing the work and, and really bringing some legitimacy to this, this thing that has been the giant elephant in the room, right? Like, I mean, and there's so many, there's so many tentacles to it. Like, I mean, because once they get this all figured out, it's just like, well, you got a few decades of where you were really fucking people over on this thing. Like, are you going to do anything to fix that or are you going to leave it be? And Brian, that's not for you to figure out, but it's just, you know, there's so many things attached to cannabis it's so loaded um and it's it's got to be exciting for you to be a part of 
it really is like again. I mean, you go back to the history and you know the 1920s, and then you got the movie Reefer Madness, and you kind of go back and watch that stuff, and it's like absolutely ridiculous. It looks like a bunch of drunk people, not people who enjoy <laughs> cannabis. Um, and yeah, really, the term like marijuana, you know, really came down from like you know it was going after pre racist about the Mexicans. I mean, it was always right. cannabis. But then he starts saying, oh, the Mexicans smoke this marijuana, the devil lettuce, and make some crazy, like, animals and all this stuff. And it's just amazing how that escalated through the Nixon era, then the war on drugs, which we got to call him out. Joe Biden had a big part on that one with the crime true. bill. I mean, it was out of control. And, you know, but now it's like, you know, we're kind of rehabbing it. And it's very interesting, too, to look at, like, the Vietnam era uh, veterans. I mean, they're the ones who really lived through the heart of the drug war. And now they're seeing the benefits of cannabis and are coming around. You know, I've talked to them a lot where they're all pretty much retired from work and they probably compartmentalized some things from Vietnam and they just kind of kept busy. So out of sight, out of mind. But now that they're kind of alone and not alone, but maybe just not doing work and have some more time to think, these demons are coming back up again. And by them using cannabis, has really helped them kind of live that good life that they deserve to do. And they're like, man, I thought this stuff was evil, and I don't know how I lived without it. So it's just, it's, you know, the snowball's going down the hill, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger each year. I mean, I thought the one huge breakthrough we had in 2020 was in 2016, everyone's talking about, oh, boy, cannabis is on the ballot. Oh, my goodness. In 2020, the next day, they're like, oh, yeah, and five more states decide to have cannabis. All right, next story. It wasn't a big deal. And that's great. It should be normal. Just normalize as quick as possible. You're 100% right. The, the only uh, pushback I would give there is it's disgusting that there are federal blockades to this at this point. Because yeah. when you talk about things like, you know, the, the reason it's a Schedule One uh, drug is because according to the federal government, meaning the FDA technically, the, it has no medical value. And that is yep. clearly debunked. Clearly it oh, has yeah. medical value. And oh, by the way... There are dozens of prescription opioids out there that are accepted. I mean, Percocet, Vicodin, Oxycontin are all yeah, but legitimately. I mean, you, it, but when you look at how the FDA sort of kind of looked to the side, especially as it relates to Oxycontin and, and how just dangerous that drug was, um, it's it's – Kind of obvious to see why they're going to be pretty hesitant. Money, correct? Why why they're going to be hesitant to back off this, and which is why you know, while you are going to have to get the FDA on board on some point, like you got to start with everybody else around the FDA to put pressure on them to get this right. And doing what I've done for twenty five years, I say burn them all. If you are part of that, you know, I'm going to use the word conspiracy to say the cannabis is evil, but (laughs) here's. Here's oxycotton to you, you know, till the cows come home. Um, I mean, people die from opioids at a horrifying rate. Alcohol, yeah. people do have all kinds of issues based on alcohol. Look, yeah. you can screw yourself up with weed. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's a perfect substance. And when people try to make that argument, like, you know, cannabis cures cancer, I'm like, okay, well, no. But does it do a lot of good? Yeah. So there are people who push the the pro-cannabis thing way too far, but there's realities that just cannot be avoided. And it is clearly a beneficial substance when used properly. I mean, I think, look, I mean, we all know that that Snoop Dogg is obviously the prime example of why (laughs) cannabis is great. 
Um, that dude lives a charm life, and I would argue Willie Nelson is proof. I I would say I, I don't know. I mean, is Willie Nelson's best friend Martha Stewart? I don't think I, so. No, but Willie Nelson is ninety seven years old and still doing Snoop will get push up between right. Martha and cannabis. Snoop will get to ninety seven. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> Um, Brian, I'm sorry you had to be exposed to this. <laughs> no, no, don't. We, you got to get out there. Yeah. Um, well, look, man, we, we don't want to take up much of your time. Obviously, you're busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're right around an hour here. Um, you know, is there is there anything that you would like to plug? Do you want to plug the social media for your brands? Anything you want? Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, check us out uh, on social media. Helmet Valley Growers, we're at HVG Company. Battle Brothers is Battle Brothers Foundation. And if you want to help donate to our cause, go to uh, battlebrothersfoundation.org and help us out and join the fight with us. And also, Steve, that music, TA, his name was Mouse. It just came to me a little bit. Yes, ago. I that's a right. Story, and he kept calling himself Mouse and laughing. I had no idea what he was talking about. You mass Mouse. flashbacks brought to you by <laughs> cannabis. <laughs> there you go. It's all coming back to me. Now. Oh, my God. That was it. And remember that room used to be so hot? Like, oh, it was terrible. Oh, God. It was like we were just – and we were – and it was small. There was like 20 of us in there, and, and I would just be like sweating. And you'd be like, dude, your forearm's so sweaty. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Oh, I know. I, I like want to do a hot boxing like, joke so much right now. <laughs> well, it was funny because I think it was like one of those classes, like half your grade required your attendance, so like we had to go. Yeah, so, yeah, that was oh, that man. was the other brutal part. Like you had, it wasn't one of those where we could, you know, like just mail it in and then and then knock out some sort of you know BS written final in the end. And then with with the the honorable Archie Shep coming back into the fray and demanding that we actually learn something about music. Um, <laughs> That was uh, the, the revelations of, of of academic cheating by. Star we didn't athletes. cheat. Yes, you did. How did, how did we cheat? We, we, Archie, it was just a fuck. No, it's just the 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 the, the teaching assistant okay, who was academic. there. The teaching assistant who was there gave a very easy test that everybody knew about, right? So, like, you didn't like you you no, one of those defensiveness. Yeah. Well, no, I am because you're calling us cheaters, and that's not fair. Okay. So then, so like, we were anticipating okay, a very easy final, and then the actual teacher comes in and literally says, "You need to know the history of African American music by next week." And all of a sudden, like, we had a lot of catch up to do, and I had more catch up to do than I'm than I'm proud of because I'm fucking African American. Well, Steve, if if <laughs> If you need information about or advice about African American music, you can always come to me. Okay. <laughs> and anyway. Brian, this is a point of contention on the show for years because um, of my African American music knowledge. Not great. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and, and I wanted to call you out on something though, Brian. You said that when you first started doing this, you were asked to go to Boston for something and you were hesitant. The reason that they just being asked to go to Boston is enough reason to be hesitant. I lived in Boston for a year and a half. Ugh. Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, actually it's it, a great city, yeah. but for, it can be annoying as shit. All right, yeah, no, it's uh, a good times in the state of Massachusetts. And hey, you got Donnie Brown coming back to UMass, so uh, yeah, that's... I'll make my way out there and then just fall sometime. Yeah, Donnie Brown and, and Coach Szczynski and and, and yep. a few uh, a few others. I'm, I'm curious to see if B. Smith leaves Rice and goes and goes back home. I I, I would be really curious to see that because um, I know he was with Coach Brown at Michigan for a bit, um, and and Brian's been around the league for a while, so, or, or at least around college football for a while since he since he got out of the NFL. So I'm just it will be exciting to kind of see what Coach Brown does. I mean he. 
he's one of those guys who just like you know like you know was on offense and he just like he gets you excited to like just walk to the bathroom you know <laughs> yeah he, he, like I tell people, he's the type of coach who can like rip you apart and you walk away with a smile. Like it's weird. Like yeah. he'll make you feel good after he destroys you. Right. Like, yeah, they call it Irish diplomacy. Irish diplomacy. Tell you to go to hell but make you look forward to the trip. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, even Coach Dodd though, he reached out to us when we got that IRB, so it's kind of cool catching up with them. But they're they're keeping their eyes on all of us. Oh so. man, that's that, really, yeah, great, that's great, great. Great group of coaches going back. I'm really happy to hear about it. Yeah, and I, I've been, you know, I've been. Coach Whip has been not far from me for the last few years because he did a stint with the Cleveland Browns, and then he was with Pitt. But then Coach Whipple just got uh, the OC job at Nebraska, um, yeah. so he's he's leaving Pitt. But I had a cousin who was thinking about transferring to Pitt, and so I got to go up there uh, and and see him uh, when he was talking about transferring. Uh, oh, and, nice. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he's, he looks good. Hair, hair is still white and wispy, and he's, you know, still a little red. Um, you know, same voice, and, and it's funny because, you know, Coach Brown would get you excited to run through that wall. Coach Whip, he would like hurt your feelings, and that, those, some of those men, they cut deep. <laughs> Oh yeah, they, they, they cut deep, and there was no smile after. It was like, damn, that really that that one hurt. <laughs> you know, uh, Brian, Brian, I do I do want to get us to a wrap up point. If there's any final points you want to make, um, I greatly appreciate you coming on. Great talking to you. The UMass flashback stuff is fun for me. Um, I hope uh, other people can laugh at Steve being drilled by a horse as much as I have over the last several years. Um, but but. Uh, thanks for coming on. Is, is there any like last point? I you know there's so many stories out there of people whose lives have been changed. I mentioned the one with my cousin uh, in Lackawanna. So you know like cannabis literally made his life better. There's so many stories out there. Is there a story you want to tell or a reference you want to point to for people to check out and realize, hey, this stuff isn't actually you know destroying people's lives. In fact, it's helping it. Yeah, you know, one when we get things going with our research, we'll definitely have. Uh, you know, some diaries where we're going to be like kind of following people as to go through their journey. But I'll just tell everyone, look at me. I mean, this is what I'm doing. I'm not just like, hey, cannabis, you can make money. I've, cannabis changed my life, and I'm just trying to do the appropriate way to help uh, impact others. I respect that very much. And again, I appreciate it so much for coming on. Uh, we'll be publishing this uh, on, on Sunday, so it'll be a couple days uh, by the time we do this, it's over. But uh, thanks again, and. Um, you know, we hope to stay in touch with you and please keep us informed as things go forward. Yeah, Brian. And anytime right. something comes up, man, where, you know, you guys take another step or when you guys, you know, get into Michigan or, you know, any key point, um, you know, like I'll keep tabs on you. But anytime you want to come on the show just to talk about progress, um, you you know, it's an open invite, man. Like the more we could do to help to get the word out. Um, you know, like I said, we got we have a, you know, a small following, but it's small and it's loyal, um, you know, and, and it's about getting you know, about word of mouth and getting it out. So feel free to always to, to come on the show. Awesome guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, please send me that link and we'll throw it on our social media as well. And look forward to talking to you guys soon. All right. We'll do, man. Thank you very much. All Take right. Care. Thanks guys. Have Take a good care. one. You too. <laughs>